seated, I invite you to find a Bible and turn to the last chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Our text will begin at verse 16 and carry us through the end of the Gospel. This week, we're, sp- we're beginning a sermon series, and we'll spend several weeks on this sermon series that we're entitling, entitling We Are Wesley. We are Wesley toward a future worthy of our past. We began this season focusing on that topic uh, this past Wednesday evening with a wonderful celebration, and we're going to spend several Sundays looking at the core values of our congregation as we look at We Are Wesley toward a future worthy of our past. This morning, we're looking at the topic, and please don't don't let it be lost on you that we're looking at this topic first. We're looking at the topic, We Are a Disciple-Making People. So in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16, we encounter that text that we Christians call the Great Commission beginning at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that we will hear your voice clearly today as you speak to us through your word. We pray, God, that we will allow your word and your spirit to form us. Help us to grow up, to grow up into the image of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. There was a very powerful book written uh, a little bit over a decade ago now entitled Start With Why. Start With Why. It was written by Simon Sinek, who is a well-known name in leadership circles. And while the book does deal with the topic of leadership, that book, Start With Why, really deals with life skills. That book, Start With Why, teaches uh, that we have to start with why. We have to ask the question, why? Why do we do what we do? Why did we get out of bed this morning? Why are we here today? If we start with why, the how and the what will take care of themselves. That book has sold over a million copies. His TED Talk speaking about the principles from that book, has been viewed by 56 million people. While it may be about leadership, it really is about life skills. Start with why. I hope you know your why, why for living, 
why for getting out of bed each morning, and why you're here in this place today. After we learn our why, that helps us discover our what and our how, then we are in a place where we can get to doing. Then we're in a place where we can create the kind of life that God wants us to create, the kind of life that we want to live. We need to start doing after we've decided our why. One of my favorite quotations that I find myself returning to time and time again comes from William Booth. William Booth was a Methodist who founded that Wesleyan movement that we call the Salvation Army. He founded the Salvation Army, and when he was beginning the Salvation Army, uh, he, he, he employed some fresh expressions to help attract people to the saving love of Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the Spirit. One of the things that he used uh, in England when he began the Salvation Army was uh, outdoor preaching, street preaching, bands, musical bands that would attract people. And uh, some of the proper British Methodists thought that he was not doing it the right way. And one of those very proper British ladies one day accosted him on the street about the impropriety of street preaching and and loud bands. And I love what William Booth said to that lady. William Booth said to that lady, I like my way of doing things better than your way of not doing things. (laughs) We need to make sure we know our why and then we need to get busy doing it. Jesus has given us our why. Jesus has called us to a task. Our text this morning occurs on a mount or mountain in the region of the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel, uh, 100 miles or so away from Jerusalem. That's where Jesus told his closest followers to go after Jesus' resurrection. And he said, I will meet you there. And in obedience, they went to that mount in the Galilee region. They went to that mount, and I believe it's the same event that the Apostle Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. I believe that's the same event that's being referred to here at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. I think it's a large group. It's more than just the 11. I think it's a large group there gathered on that mount, perhaps the same mount there by the Sea of Galilee where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. I think there are many, many more people here than just the 11 because the text says that those some Some worshiped, some doubted. It was a mixed crowd. That's why I think it was a rather large crowd. So they gathered there on that mountain, and the post-resurrection Jesus, before he's ascended to the Father, in those 40 days where he taught the early Christians, he gave them their marching orders. He began by saying, as you notice in the text, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Isn't it interesting that's where he starts? Before he says anything about the task that he's giving to us, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says that because he's about to say to his followers something where he gives them a commission, which is definitely a great commission. 
It's a task that is not even doable in our own human strength. And that's why he begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And the implication is, I'm going to share that authority. I'm going to share that power with you. And then he gives them, he gives us our marching orders. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. The imperative here is the make disciples of all nations. Even the word go there is in a passive tense. It really says as you're going, as you're doing, you're going, as you're going and coming, as you're living your life, make disciples of all nations. That's the great commission. We are not called to make Christians converts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit woos each one of us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit calls us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we have the ability, the grace-given, God-given ability to respond to that wooing of the Holy Spirit, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit to make converts, to make Christians. The task that's given to us is to make disciples. So it is, it is imperative upon us that we know what it means to be a disciple, what it means to make disciples. Disciple is the word that's used most often in the New Testament for Christians. The word Christian occurs rarely in the New Testament, but the word disciple or disciples occurs over 260 times. That should be the prevailing orientation of our lives, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? The, the word literally means learner, but I, I'm not sure that captures the impact of the word. And that's why it was Dallas Willard, great spiritual author of recent generations, who said that perhaps instead of learner, we need to use the word apprentice, apprentice. Perhaps we don't know about apprentices as well in this culture as our ancestors did. So we need to learn what an apprentice is. An apprentice is someone who, who attaches themselves to a teacher, who even lives with the teacher, not to just listen to what the teacher says, but to do what the teacher does. That's what an apprentice is. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, is, it means we are to be apprentices of Jesus Christ. We are those people who use the disciplines to become a disciple. You see the connection between those two words. We use those disciplines to become a disciple, those spiritual disciplines such as solitude and silence, Scripture reading, Scripture reading both for information and transformation. We go to Scripture to hear the voice of God, worship, Christian fellowship or conferencing, fasting, prayer, the sacraments. These are all means of grace. These are spiritual disciplines, gifts that God has given to us so that we can use them to grow up, to grow up into the image of Jesus Christ. Dallas Willer that I mentioned a few moments ago who has written some remarkable books on the Christian life, and one that has heavily impacted me is one entitled 
the great omission. The great omission, uh, subtitled Reclaiming Jesus' Essential Teaching about Discipleship. And Dallas Willard coined the phrase vampire Christians. I need to explain to you what he meant by vampire Christians. You might already have have determined from the phrase what he meant. Vampire Christians are those Christians who they just, they just want a little of Jesus' blood to cleanse them from sin. They want Jesus' blood to bring them forgiveness and pardon, but they don't want Jesus to interfere with their lives. They want some of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse them, to prepare them for heaven, to give them the gift of eternal life, but they don't want Jesus to bother their lives otherwise. They don't want Jesus to interrupt or disrupt their living. Those are vampire Christians. Obviously, a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ who seeks to live as Jesus wants us to live. We live so closely with Jesus Christ that we don't do everything Jesus Christ did or does, but everything that we do, we do in the spirit of Jesus Christ. We do what we do as Jesus would do it. That's what it means to be a disciple. And of course, disciples make disciples. You can't be a disciple without making disciples of other people. This is the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We become a disciple and then we get busy making disciples. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. You notice in the text, he actually offers us some insight as to how we make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we make disciples by baptizing. Last Sunday morning, we baptized 12 people. Baptism is a symbol, a sign that we identify with Jesus Christ. You notice he says baptizing them, and here you get the Trinity, baptizing them in the name. Notice it's singular, it's not plural. Baptizing them in the name, the one name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's your Trinitarian theology. We baptize in the name of the Trinity. That is an identification with Christ, but we don't stop there. That's the beginning of the Christian life. After we do the baptizing, it says, he says, we teach. And teaching them, teaching them to obey, to obey everything that I've commanded you, Jesus says. There are a lot of people in churches who are fans of Jesus. They have some respect for Jesus. They know of some of the things Jesus has said. They know Jesus said, go and love your neighbor, and that's a good thing to know. But Jesus said some other things besides just go and love your neighbor. And you notice Jesus says, go and baptize, go and teach, teach them everything, to obey everything that I have commanded you. As people committed to Christian discipleship, we want to become the people day by day, progressively become the people that God is calling us to become in Jesus Christ. It was Eugene Peterson who defined discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. Sometimes we're too impatient to become disciples. 
Let the Spirit work on us little bit by little bit by little bit. We first come to Christ at our initial conversion. Conversion just means a turning. We first come to Christ when we turn to Jesus Christ and ask Jesus Christ into our lives. But after that initial conversion, we have to spend the rest of our life converting all of our life, turning all of our life toward Jesus Christ. After we give him our sins, after we give him our sins and uh, ask him to cleanse our sins by his shed blood and give us the forgiveness and pardon that leads to new life, we don't stop there, but we go on to say, Jesus, I don't want you just as Lord, as Savior of my life. I want you to be Lord of my life too. And for him to be Lord of our life, that means every area of our lives. We can't just have a religious department that we roll out on Sunday mornings, but we want him to be Lord of every area of our life. We come to him with our initial conversion, our initial turning to him, but then we enter a life, an exciting life, where we allow him to work in us, guide us by his spirit, guide us by his word, so that we could turn every area of our life. After our initial turning to Jesus Christ, where we give him our sins and receive pardon and forgiveness, then we have to work on turning over to him our calendar, turning over to him our schedule, turning over to him our entertainment, turning over to him our leisure hours, turning over to him our finances, and we spend our life turning more and more of our life Godward in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who is living so closely with Jesus Christ, seeking to live even more closely with Jesus Christ, that their lives begin to express the reality of Jesus Christ. We have to learn, we have to seek and desire to learn to obey everything that he commands us. One of the verses that haunts me from the lips of Jesus. We find in the Sermon on the Mount, and people love the Sermon on the Mount, but this passage I've discovered they don't love as much. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says the right things will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to say, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven it's not about just saying the right things, it's doing the right things. Jesus goes on to say in that passage, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not preach in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus concludes this section by saying, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Making disciples is a task way beyond our capability. That's why you notice the text ends with that promise that he will be with us even until the end of the age. We are Wesley Memorial, and that means many things. If you look at our history, you look at our present, our presence, our present. It means many things when we say we are Wesley. It means we're disciple-making people. We start with that this morning. We have four practices 
four spiritual practices that we've talked about for years now that forms us to be the people that God's calling us to be. For those of you that have been around a while, I almost want to quiz you, but I won't. Um, We even put these four different practices in various places. There have been times we've even had them on banners in the front parking lot. We need to all know these four spiritual practices that we focus on. These four spiritual practices are worship, prayer, small groups, and hands-on mission. Because those are the things that form us as disciples. Prayer, worship, you're worshiping now. Small groups, you notice in your bulletin, there's a lot of opportunities for small group involvement. In those small groups, that's where we get to know each other and we grow in our faith. Hands-on mission. We get to do that this afternoon with Rise Against Hunger. These are the kind of things we've got to make space for in our lives if we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Those who are disciples are those people who seriously intend to become like Jesus from the inside out. Disciples are those who systematically arrange and organize their life, their affairs, to that purpose, to that why in their life. They do that under the guidance of the Word and the Holy Spirit. I hope that you've received Jesus as your Savior. You've, you've realized you cannot save yourself, so you've given your sins to Him so that the merit, the work of Jesus Christ will save you from your sins. So I hope that you have received Him as Savior. But also pray that you have received Him as Lord, Master of your life. Don't just give Him your sins. Give Him your whole life. Amen.